Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. This morning we are setting aside our uh, series in the book of Acts for a while uh, as we begin a new series on the hope of the resurrection. For the next few months, we will be working our way not through a single book as we normally do, but but instead we will be looking at a number of texts, all focused on the same theme, all focused on Jesus' resurrection from the dead and the hope that is ours through his victory over death. Now, obviously, Jesus' resurrection is an appropriate theme for us to, to focus on, especially as we look forward to celebrating Easter Sunday next month, but What I want us to see in particular over the course of the next few months is is I want us to see that Jesus' resurrection is the, the source and the ground of our hope in this present evil age. This is something that I think we all no, it's, it's something that we've, we've learned uh, from b- before. It's something that is one of the fundamentals of our faith, and yet it is something that I think we need to be reminded of, especially now. Life has always been hard, but I think most of us would agree that the, the past couple of years have been particularly challenging. We have grown weary, been worn down by the, by the constant pressure and And we're still anxious about the things that are yet to come. And in such times as these, in such trying times, when when trials are behind us and fiery trials are before us, we need to let the hope of Jesus' resurrection dwell richly in our hearts. And that's what I want us to do through the course of this series. So for the next few months, we will be actually following the, the, the path that's set before us in Tim Keller's newest book, The Hope in Times of Fear. And we will be following that path as we look at a number of different texts, focusing on the hope that is ours through Jesus' resurrection from the dead. We begin this morning in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 But before we read the God's word together, let us pray and ask for his blessing upon the ministry of his word here this morning. Father God, we come before you this morning, humbly asking for your grace, humbly asking that the same spirit who inspired Peter to write these words would now be with us, opening our minds and our hearts to receive them, Father, that by them, your hope, the, the hope of Jesus' resurrection from the dead might dwell richly in our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. First Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 3. This is the very word of God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. 
Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is the reading of God's word. Children, you can come forward to meet me at the front. Welcome. I have a question for you this morning. Actually, I have a couple of questions for you. First, I want to ask you, can you think of a time when you were really excited, when you were really happy about something that was happening in your life? Can you think of a time? What was it? What was it that made you so happy? The beach, going to the beach. That's 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 an exciting time, right? What, What is it? Oh, going to a water park. Yeah, that's a fun one. Uh, Grandma's house. What else? Going to the beach. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Great Wolf Lodge. Yeah, there's lots of things that we can be really excited about. Well, now let me ask you a harder question. Can you think of a time when, when you were really sad about something? Oh, yeah, when you lose your glasses, I know. I'm, I, I'm very dependent on my glasses. I know how that is. Oh, yeah, losing your phone, that's a big deal. Anyone else? Yeah, when someone we love is, is sick or, or they're having trouble breathing. Yeah, there's lots of things that sometimes make us, make us sad, too. And so there's, there's things that, that make us really happy, and there, there's things that make us really sad. But let me ask you one more question. Can you think of a time when you were really happy and really sad at the same time? That's kind of a strange thing, isn't it? We don't think about being happy and being, being sad at the, at the same time, and yet... That's exactly what Peter's talking about in the text. Did you hear it? He said he's talking to people and he's saying, you are rejoicing. And he even says it's, it's inexpressible joy. It's joy. They're so happy they can't even put it into words. But they're also grieving. They're, they're, they're sad. I, I know that my kids have sometimes had that experience. I remember one time when my, my daughter was very sad because her, her, one of her good friends was having a birthday party and she couldn't go. And she was sad because she was going to miss the party, but she was also happy because the reason she was missing the party is because we were going to the beach. And so she was getting to go to the beach, but she was missing her friend's party. And so she was kind of happy and sad at the, at the same time. And that's what Peter is talking about in this text. He's talking about people who are happy and sad at the same time. They are grieving, and yet they are rejoicing. And do you know why they're able to rejoice? Because just like my daughter, she, something good was happening and what was the good thing that was happening? What was the good thing that was happening for these people? They were, they were sad because lots of, of sad things were happening in their lives. But they were rejoicing because they knew that God was doing something good. He was strengthening their faith. He was helping them to become more and more like Jesus. So that one day, 
they would be able to live with Jesus in the new heavens and the new earth. And that's the, that's the wonder of life right now. I want, you to, I want you to hear me say this morning that, that sometimes there's going to be things that make you sad in this life. There's going to be hard things. The people that we love are going to be, be sick or, or bad things are going to happen. And it's okay it's okay to be sad. Peter says that the people who he's writing to were, were grieving. They were sad because of the broken things. But what I want you to know is that because Jesus, because Jesus entered into our sadness, because he came and lived in this broken world, that even when bad things happen, we don't have to lose heart. Because Jesus not only entered into the broken things of this world, but he was victorious over them because he rose from the dead. And because he rose from the dead, even in the midst of our sadness, we can rejoice because we know that those bad things will never have the last word. In fact, God's even going to use those bad things to help us know him better, to love him more, and one day, that, so that one day we might live with him forever and ever in the new heavens and the new earth. And because he's going to do that for us, that's why we call this good news. Do you believe that? All right, you can go back to your seats. All right, if you haven't already, open your Bibles to that text, to 1 Peter chapter 1. This text where Peter talks about those who are grieving and yet rejoicing at the same time. And as I said, that, that rejoicing in the midst of our, our grieving is, is rooted in the hope that is ours through Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And really what I want us to hear this morning is that Peter is calling us to set our hope on this hope. He, he's using the language of hope two different ways in this text. I didn't read it, but look with me at verse 13. Look with me at verse 13. Peter says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ from the dead. So, so here he's in verse 13, and he is using the language of hope subjectively. He's talking about our, our feeling of hope, our hopefulness. He's saying, set your hope on something. And what is it that we are to set our hope on? We are to set our hope on the grace that will be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ from the dead. And that grace that he's talking about there is actually the the living hope that he mentioned back in verse 4, the inheritance that is ours. So, so he's telling us to set our subjective hope on the objective hope that is ours through Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And so what is that objective hope? What is the, the content of the hope? What's the, the substance of this hope that is ours through Jesus Christ's resurrection from the dead? Well, he, he tells us that it is an inheritance in the, in the coming kingdom. An inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and, and unfading. What we are being called to do this morning is we are being called to set our hope on that hope. We're being called to remember in the midst of our trials that we have an objective hope that is unshakable. And what I want us to see and what I want us to remember over the, over the course of this series is that we as believers must we must let this hope, this objective hope, dwell richly in our hearts because it is this hope that strengthens us and, and sustains us for life in this present evil age. 
As I was saying to, to the kids, there are going to be things uh, that, that happen in this life, things that are hard, things that, that cause us to, to grieve. And it's not wrong that we grieve because those things are hard. We, we've experienced a, a lot of that in the past year, have we not? The past couple of years have, have been hard. Just, just think about the, the pandemic. I was at the beach this past week with the Christmans, and it reminded me that I was actually at the beach with the Christmans two years ago when I got an email from, from Roger Schmur, and he asked me, what are you going to do about this virus? And I had no idea what he was talking about. That was just two years ago. Two years ago, I, I got an email asking about what I was going to do about this, this virus, and, and I didn't even know what he was talking about, and yet it has been something constantly on my mind pretty much since then. For two years, we have, we have focused on, on how we are going to deal with, with this pandemic, with this virus that has spread across the world. And, and for many of us, the, the virus itself and then the things that we have done to combat the virus, they have, they have caused to, uh, emotions of fear and anxiety to be stirred up within us. There was the, the virus itself and the threat that it posed to our health, the, 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 the fact that it, it took many people's lives, but there was also just the consequences of our response to it that, that caused us to fear. The, the consequences that, that it had on our economy as we shut down not only businesses but whole industries, as we saw the, the supply chain dis, disrupted, we, we saw that, that it, it had significant economic co consequences across, across the world, but, but not only economic consequences, it had social consequences. As, the, as the, the uncounted cost of, of social isolation began to, to mount and people's anxiety and, and depression from just being alone, from, from not being able to visit grandparents, from, from, from not being able to have a birthday party. I know my, my daughter had a birthday party on Zoom. No 13-year-old is supposed to have a birthday party on Zoom. And yet that was the reality that we lived through. And of course we saw political changes as, as well as new laws were, were passed and enforced. Again and again, the, the consequences stirred up fear and anxiety. And just as the, the concerns related to that began to, to fade, just as we thought, well, now we're finally past the, the latest variant, just as we can maybe begin to, to see the possibility of returning to, to normal, a whole new set of fears and worries have been kindled by Russia invading Ukraine. And again, the, the move has, has stirred up fear and anxiety with, within us as we, as we think about the, the war that is going on. We, we think especially of those who have family and friends there, people who know people in the Ukraine. I have a friend who, who works with MTW who, who is in Germany, and, and many of the people who report directly to him are in the Ukraine. And, and his anxiety for them, his, his worry for them has been sensed in the the updates that he has been sending out. But of course, the invasion itself raises other questions. It raises other concerns. We, we think about the fact that, that this, could, this could spread, this could lead to a war on a, on a larger scale, which could have its own economic problems, its own political problems. In this present evil age, there are plenty of things to worry about. There are, are plenty of things to, to stir up our anxiety. But of course, it's not just such large-scale global problems that make us anxious. It's not just the, the large-scale things. In fact, sometimes the large-scale things are, are easier to, to compartmentalize, to, to set aside. But there are also personal problems, problems closer to, to home, job situations that are not right, 
Marriages that are stressed and fracturing. Family situations that are in turmoil. People dealing with with health situations where their, their bodies have betrayed them. Seems that we've had our fair share of such personal struggles as well in the midst of all that's been going on in the world. It's been a difficult few years. And in the midst of such fiery trials, it would be all too easy for us to lose heart. It would be all too easy for us to allow our our fears and our anxieties to consume us. And therefore, we have to be intentional. We we have to be uh, uh, intentional about setting our mind on the hope that is ours when we face such trials. We have to remember that through Jesus Christ's resurrection from the dead, we have been born again to a living hope. That's why for the the next few months we're going to be focusing on Jesus' resurrection from the dead, on on the living hope that is ours through his victory over death. And we're starting here because that's exactly what Peter is calling us to do in this passage. Here, Peter is calling us to set our hope on the hope that is ours through Jesus Christ. Look at again at the, the passage. Peter gives us here a, a sweeping overview of the Christian life. He, he looks first at the past, then he, then he looks to the, the future, and having looked to the future, he then brings it back to the present and says, this is how we're to live in the present. So, so let's start with the past. Notice what, what he says about our past. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So there are, are two past events here. First is the central event, the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Jesus Christ was, was bodily crucified. He was, he was bodily buried. He was dead. And yet on the third day, he bodily rose from the dead. This, he, didn't, he didn't raise metaphorically. He didn't raise, right, raise symbolically. He rose bodily from the dead. The one who was dead and buried lived again, rose again, and ascended to heaven where he is now seated at the right hand of the Father. That is the truth of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And it is the ground of our hope. But, but notice there's a second event here too. The second event is that that we, through his resurrection, have been born again. He has caused us to be born again, Peter says. Now, if you have never experienced this this birth, this this new birth, you need to know that the hope that we are talking about this morning is is not just a hope that is is sort of generally everybody's hope. It's, It's not just the good news about the future for everyone. This is a hope that is ours through our faith in the risen Lord. It is those who have been united to him by faith who will be raised, who have been raised with him and will be raised with him on the last day. And so if you don't know what that means, if you're not sure if you've ever experienced this new birth or you're not really even sure what this new birth is all about, I would love the opportunity to talk with you. I would love the opportunity to to, to sit down with you and and to tell you more about this Jesus who rose victorious over sin and death because it is only through faith in him that this hope is yours. But for the now, this, this morning, focus on the, the content of the hope, whether it's a hope that you, you hope to have one day or it's a hope that is already yours. Look again at the content of this hope. 
Because this hope that that Peter calls a a living hope, it is a future-oriented hope. And that's what I want us to see next. Look again at, at what he says about this hope. He says that this hope is an inheritance. We've been born again to a living hope, to an inheritance. Now, now think about that language. That that language clearly echoes the Old Testament. When when God led the people of Israel out of Egypt into the promised land, he gave them the land as an inheritance. The inheritance was was a symbol of of their portion in the coming kingdom of God. Israel was a, a foretaste, a foreshadowing of what God was going to do. He was going to establish his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, a kingdom that Daniel tells us will one day fill the whole earth. And he gave his people an inheritance in that coming kingdom. And, and that's exactly what Peter is saying. That's the, the picture that he's picking up here. He says, we have been born again to an inheritance in the coming kingdom of God. But it's not like the inheritance that the Old Testament saints received. Because notice how he describes it. First of all, it is an imperishable inheritance. It is an inheritance that cannot be touched by the, the moth and the, the rust of this world. It is an imperishable inheritance, and it is, secondly, an undefiled inheritance. That's difficult for us to even comprehend because we've never seen anything that was undefiled. In this present evil age, everything is touched by sin. Everything is marred by sin. Nothing is as it should be. Even at our best. We are still twisted out of shape. We are still curved in on ourselves. Even at our best, the the pollution of sin is still there. And yet, Peter tells us that that we have an inheritance. Uh, We have a coming inheritance, a future inheritance that is entirely undefiled by sin. An inheritance that that will be as God intended it to be. That will will embody and fulfill the, the very goodness that God spoke about when he first created the heavens and the earth. This is our inheritance. It is an imperishable inheritance. It is an undefiled inheritance. And because it is as God intends it to be, its glory will be unfading. Think about that. It's it's an inheritance that's glory will never fade, that satisfaction will never dim. It is an inheritance in which we will be able to rest for all eternity. It is an inheritance that will enable us to to glorify and enjoy God forever, world without end. This is what God has for us. This is our inheritance. This This is what is ours through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. But notice... Peter says even even more than this, not only do we have this imperishable, undefiled, unfading inheritance, but but notice, this inheritance is being kept for us in heaven. So not only is it it safe from the corrosion of, of moth and rust, but what else did Jesus say could happen to the treasures of this earth? They could be stolen. Not only can they be corrupted, but they can be be stolen. But this inheritance cannot be stolen because it is kept in heaven for us by God's own power. It is is impervious to the threat of thieves. It it cannot be stolen because God is keeping it for us. And so we have an inheritance in the coming kingdom of God that is imperishable, that is undefiled, that is unfading, that is kept in heaven for us. But there's even more because notice what he says next. Not only is our inheritance imperishable and unassailable, but he says it is that we are being kept for us. It. 
Not only is it being kept for us, but but we are being guarded by God's power through faith. And so not only is the inheritance sure to be there, but we are sure to be there. The God who has caused us to be born again will bring us all the way home. He, He will not begin a good work and then fail to complete it. The one who calls us is faithful. He will surely do it. And again, think about what that means. Let let the wonder of that fill your mind. It means that that it is not your strength, it is not the strength of your faith that guarantees your your final uh, reception of this inheritance. But it is rather the power of God that keeps you in faith. Faith was his gift to you. And faith is sustained by his power. And so he keeps us in faith by his power. He will bring us all the way home. This is the the wonder of of the living hope that is ours through Jesus' resurrection from the dead. We have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for us, even as we are being kept for it by the very power of God. And because of all of this, Peter says, because we have such a living hope, we must now set our hope on this hope. Why? Because it is only by setting our hope on this hope that we will be able to stand firm in the present. This is what we see in, in verse 6. Again, look, notice what Peter says. He says, in this you rejoice. This refers back to the living hope. He says, in this living hope, you now rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So, so Peter isn't naive about, about the reality of life in this present age. He, he knows that, that, that life in this age is, is, is full of trials and, and full of, of sufferings. We are grieved here and now. Paul says that we groan here and now in this present evil age. And I don't think that that many of us would would question the the veracity of that assessment. We we know it to be true. We we know it firsthand. We, We knew it before the pandemic. And the past few years have only put it beyond all reasonable doubt. This life, this age, is an age of trouble. But sometimes when we when we see clearly the the evil of this present age, it it raises a a hard question in our minds. We struggle to to understand why this present age is is marked by trials and and suffering. It's it's one of the the most profound, weightiest questions that, that we struggle with in this life. If God is sovereign, what is he doing? Have you ever asked yourself that? If God is is sovereign, why isn't he doing what we think he ought to be doing? It's it's a heavy, complex question, and there are are obviously many ways to approach it, and there's no simple answer that will resolve all of your questions. But, But here, Peter gives us sort of one glimpse of an answer. And he says it in verse 7. He says it with a so that. What does he say? He says... In this life you have been grieved by various trials so that, why? So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor 
at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What is God doing with these trials? Why does he allow us to, to suffer? Well, one reason, one thing that God is accomplishing is our perfection. He is refining us. He is, he is making us more and more like Christ. In one of his books, Paul Tripp says it this way. He says, what are trials? They are God's boiling pot. When we come to Christ, we are dross-corrupted Christians. We are carrying around inherent corruptions inside of us that rob us of our strength and beauty. So God, in the grandeur and faithfulness of his redemptive love, boils us. The difficulties that come our way are not a sign of his unfaithfulness or inattention. No, they are an indication of his love. He knows that we are not what we are meant to be. He has dug us out of the mine, but we need to be refined. It's not everything that we could say about trials. I don't, don't mean to, to make a complex question simple. But one reality that we can know for certain is that when the trials come, though those trials be truly grievous, though they truly be things that ought not to be, though they be truly evil, nevertheless, in the hands of our Heavenly Father, He is using them for our good. He is working them that we might become more and more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. He is using these trials. He's using them to make us into the men and the women that he has called us to be. The trials are not signs of his inattention. They are his refining fire. One of the reasons we, we struggle to see this is that far too often we have an agenda conflict with God. We want one thing while he wants another. We want present ease and comfort and pleasure. He wants to fit us for a life of true blessing in the age to come. And so we, we have these very different ideas about what the, the present ought to look like. Think about the, the kid who thinks that basketball practice is supposed to be fun. Versus a, a coach who thinks he's preparing his team for an upcoming tournament. They have very different goals in mind, and therefore they're going to have very different ideas about what practice should look like. I've seen it. And, and that's how it often is with us and, and God. So, so here is the question that we must ask ourselves. What do you think the present ought to look like? What do you think life in this present age ought to be full of? How do you conceive of, of God's blessing? How do you define the, the good life? How do you assess a good day, even? Again, listen to, to Tripp. He writes, We get excited about being around people who love us and affirm us. We get excited about children who grow up and do, do what is right. We get excited about making plans that actually come true. We get excited about physical health. We get excited about investments that have a good return. We get excited about having a safe, successful, stress-free, and predictable life. The problem with all these things is not that they are wrong to desire. The problem is that we have settled for far too little. We are surprised, shocked, and disappointed when God shakes them in order to refine us. You see, God has planned more and better things for us than we would want for ourselves. 
He is not content for us to be content with situational and relational ease. He will settle for nothing less than that we would become partakers of the divine nature. He will settle for nothing less than that we would be conformed to the image of Christ. God will not allow us to settle for less than the good that he has planned for us. He he won't let us quit. He, He won't let us give up. Like a good coach, he is going to push us to become the men and the women that he has called us to be. So again, Tripp asks, how do you assess a good day? Do you tend to celebrate the smooth running, unobstructed days and curse the days when difficulty has been in your path? How small a trial is able to make you angry? How quick are you to question God and his goodness? How apt are you to lash out at others who who seem to have gotten in the way of your plans? How much do you envy the apparent ease of others? How much is your joy and contentment directly tied to comfort and ease? These are questions that hit close to home. These are questions that that can reveal that, that our hearts are in an agenda conflict with the Lord. We want one thing while, while God has something else planned for us. And when we experience such a conflict, what do we, what do, we do? How, how do we realign our hearts? That's well, exactly what Peter is getting at here. He is, he is telling us that we must bring our minds and our hearts back to the truth. We, we must do what he says in, in verse 9. We must notice that, that through these trials, we are obtaining the outcome of our faith. We are obtaining the salvation of our souls. Don't miss that. We are obtaining. We are being Saved. That, that means two things. First, it, it means that our salvation is a, is a process that is not yet complete. It is happening. It is, we are obtaining, but we have not yet obtained. But it also means that our salvation is in process. We are in the process of obtaining. God is even now working out our salvation. He is even now fitting us for the inheritance that is to be ours. He is even now refining us that for all eternity we might glorify and enjoy him without hindrance, without obstacle. This is what God is doing. This is the hope that is ours through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And this hope, this, this refining is taking place through the trials that we so often resent. Again, it doesn't mean we can't grieve. We can grieve the trials. We can can weep over the brokenness of this world. But even in the midst of our grieving, we rejoice with a joy inexpressible because we know what God is doing. It's why Peter says in in verse 13 that we are to prepare our minds for action. More literally, we are to gird up the loins of our mind. How? By setting our hope fully on the grace that will be brought to us. We are to set our subjective hope on the objective hope that is ours through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Only when we do so will we be be transformed, as he says in verse 14. Only when we do so will we be able to be holy as he is holy, as he says in verses 15 and 16. Only when we do so will we be able to walk in the fear of the Lord as sojourners and, and pilgrims in this age. 
This is the life that we are being called to, and it's a life that that is sustained only by a hope that is set on the living hope that is ours through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And that's why we are are taking the time over the course of the the next several weeks to to do just that, to, to focus on the living hope that is ours through the resurrection. You see, there there are so many ways that that we can prepare our minds for action, so many ways that we can gird up the loins of our mind. Just being here on Sunday morning is is one of them, being faithful in worship, showing up and and participating in the worship of God is is a way that we prepare our minds for action. Participating in our small groups as we share our lives with one another and, and, and speak the truth into one another's lives, wrestling with his word. Building friendships with people who can hold us accountable and who can encourage us and and strengthen us in this life. These are all ways that that we can can prepare our minds for action. But what we need to understand is that all these things were gathering together in, in, in corporate worship, gathering together in small groups, meeting together with our friends. These things work only in so much as they help us to set our hope on the hope that is ours through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so for the next several weeks, we are going to be doing just that. We are going to be focusing on this hope that we might live as people of hope, even in the midst of our present trials. You see, the truth is that the the trials of the past two weeks, or the past two years, they, they have felt extraordinary in many ways. But there are more trials to come. We may think we see light at the end of the the tunnel. But the reality is that until Jesus comes again, this life will be full of trouble. It's not going to go away. This is a present evil age. But even in the midst of such trials, even in the midst of such groaning, even in the midst of such grieving, we can rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible because we know that even the trials are in our Father's hands. And he is using them to refine us. He is using them to to strengthen our faith. He is using them to fit us for the inheritance that is ours in the coming kingdom of God. And because we have such a sure and certain hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, that is one reason we call this good news. Do you believe that? Amen. Let's believe it together. Father God, we thank you for your grace We thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised again for our justification. We thank you for the living hope that is now ours through his victory over death. And we pray, Father, that you would give us the grace that we need to set our hope fully on that hope, that we might walk as obedient children in this present age, all to the praise of your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.